Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I am your host Ben Kreider and today I am going to be talking about the Thunder Rockets game on Monday. A recap of that one as well as talking about Alexei Pokachevsky and Ty Jerome being sent down to the G League for the Orlando bubble. So we got a lot of stories to talk about in this episode and we are going to kick it off with Monday's game. So going into this game we already knew the Houston Rockets were on fire. They won five games in a row. In the Thunder's case just came off a big time loss to the Brooklyn Nets and they were looking to kind of bounce back and defeat the Houston Rockets in game one of two because they do meet up with each other on Wednesday. And you know this is kind of just one of those games where You want to put them in the past. You kind of just want to set this aside and just focus on your next contest, which is against the Houston Rockets. This was not a very pretty game for the Thunder. They ended up losing this one by 30 points, and the Houston Rockets broke away pretty early in this game. They won 136-106. to And we just could not stop them on the defensive end. I mean, their offense was firing on all cylinders from the tip-off. They put in 11 three-pointers in the first quarter alone, which is ridiculous, might I add. 11 three-pointers in the first quarter. And in total in the first quarter, they had 48 points. Are you freaking kidding me? How does that happen? They were not missing at all, and these were not, like, wide-open shots that you would imagine. I mean, maybe the first couple shots, I think John Wall got in the mix early. He really lit the fire onto the rest of these guys because everyone was taking their shots, and everyone was drilling them. Nobody could miss in the first quarter, and the Thunder simply could not match it. They had 24 points in the first quarter, which, hey, in a normal basketball game, that's not too terrible. That's actually pretty solid you can uh you can get away with that but not when you're letting your opponent score 48 points they were so close to getting 50 and they i think they had like i think they had 44 points or some some odd yeah i think they had 44 points like 30 seconds ago i was just like uh, i was i was like kiddingly saying like oh you know maybe they could get 50 they get an and one three-point shot so they get to 48 they were not able to crack 50 though. So, I mean, that's a little, that's a small victory for the Thunder in this one. You take that, you take that. But they were just killing it. I mean, there was not much that could be done right there, shooting the ridiculous percentages that they were from downtown. I mean, they started 9 of 11 from three point range and finished that quarter 11 of 14. That's 78.6% from beyond the arc. You cannot stop that. Like I said, coming from John Wall, coming from Victor Oladipo, coming from Christian Wood. Christian Wood was a killer early. Al Horford was the matchup on him. And Al Horford, he had a quick touch in the first quarter from downtown. He hit uh, one. He had one three-pointer, but Christian Wood hit two. Same with Victor Oladipo. So everyone was able to spray and pray, and it continued into the second quarter because they kept it going, and they held their lead. We've seen teams cough up big leads. 
Not the case in this one. They were up 19 points. They're up 73-254 at the half's close. Still kicking, you know what, from downtown. 14 of 21. Really just could not stop them. They were shooting way too efficient. They end up hitting 14 threes. And the Oklahoma City Thunder shot just 15. They attempted 15 three-pointers in the first half. The Houston Rockets hit 14. And... You know, I saw this from like Andrew Schleck or whatever from um, the Down and Dunk podcast. But yeah, that's like a really, really interesting stat to nab. That's how on fire they were. And it kept going. In the second half, you know, they build on this like 20, 20 point lead. That's about where they're working with here. They just explode the gap. They were up as big as 35 points in the second half, and they almost broke an NBA record in the game. They broke a franchise record from downtown. They hit 28 three-point shots, and they were just one shy of the NBA record of 29 threes in a game. They beat their previous franchise record when you got, I don't even know, I'm assuming James Harden was on that squad, right? But I'm not sure. They broke that one just inches away from getting into the actual NBA leaderboards right there. So very, very close from them. There was nothing that the Thunder could do. Like I mentioned, I mean, this literally looked like an open gym practice. I'm watching the game. I cannot believe my eyes. Like the life almost got sucked out of me because I mean, the energy was just so weird. It looked like, I mean, seriously, it looked like a pickup game. We got everybody on the Houston Rockets, you know, just able to get whatever shot up that they would like. And the Thunder on the other end, I mean, they had points of attack. Like, for instance, SGA had 19 points, but he was not getting to the same spots as usual. The drive was kind of being cut off. So he had to look to other options to try to collect his points. And that's a pivotal part of his game. The offense runs through SGA getting inside. And he was not attacking. I'd say in the first, Teo Maladone probably was the primary ball handler. Um, later, it shifted back to SGA. But SGA was not like fully turning on the gas early. And that's what he needs to be doing. Didn't end up happening. Cost us in the long run. Still gets his 19, though. Maladone had 11. Looked uh, looked solid, I'd say. I mean, he did have a couple cough-ups here and there, but it was not that bad. 1 of 4 from 3. We knew the 6 of 6 from downtown probably would not hold. Did not end up doing so. But I'd say it's an overall win for his third start, being a 19-year-old rookie. We'll take that. Al Horford at 12. He got hot a bit from 3, as I mentioned. He hit 2 of those shots. He tried working in the post on Christian Wood, and he just got, he left it short every time. And this is something that I mentioned in the uh, the preview pod. I mean, I thought that, you know, potentially Al Horford would try to take Christian Wood down low. I'm surprised he did. He actually got good looks. I mean, he got right over the top of Wood every time. He just could not put enough oomph on it, I guess you'd say. So ends up leaving it short. Only getting 12 points on 5 of 12 shooting. Baisley, he looked good. I think he, you know, at times should have just taken over in this game. He had moments where he looked like one of the best ball handlers on the floor for us because he really did. He's been able to get inside pretty much at will at this point. He has some very good moves. 
to navigate through defenders in the lane, and that's something that has kind of become underrated. Like, whenever I'm thinking of Darius Baisley, I'm not, you know, I haven't been really hearing much talk and chatter about how good he is at those little, like, quick, you know, hop steps, step backs. I mean, he has the playmaking ability, and then when he goes inside, he can get you with the Euro steps and such. Very good at getting those one or two moves on to get the open look. They were not hidden every time. He shot 6 of 13 for 15 points, but you'll absolutely take that. I think Justin Jackson was a surprise. He had 10 points on 3 of 6 shooting. But Hamadou Diallo, in my opinion, was the player of the game for the OKC Thunder. Nobody on the Thunder was able to do anything against the Rockets. As I mentioned, like the life got sucked out of me watching through the television screen. Maybe they got to the Thunder too because it didn't seem like there was a ton of stuff going on. But Hamadou Diallo, through all this stuff, looked like his normal self. He looked better than usual. And he he's, he's special because... No matter what, Hamadou Diallo, he plays his style. He doesn't get caught in the emotions of the game, and it results in a lot of points. 15 points on 6 of 7 shooting. He even got a 3-pointer in there. Got 2 rebounds and 4 assists. So he was active not only just scoring, but also passing. The only other guy who had more assists than him was SGA with 5. So he was right there. Probably, like I mentioned, our best player. didn't He blocked out all the noise. Whatever was going on, he was just looking at the game possession at a time and paid some benefits for him, man. Looked very solid in the game. I, I, I didn't want to mention, I mean, what the Rockets were doing. Statistically, they were killing it. They had Christian Wood dropping 18 points, John Wall dropping 18 points, Victor Oladipo dropping 15 I mean, everyone, everyone was killing it for them. Four out of their five starters cracked double digits in the game. But they played a lot of their bench unit as well because they did kind of put this one out early. Daniel House, he got his job taken away from Ja'Shawn Tate, the rookie. He tried making a statement. He hit four of his six threes for 13 points. DeMarcus Cousins, get this. He led the team in threes, or I guess he technically tied with Eric Gordon, but he shot five of nine from three for 17 points. And Eric Gordon led the team with 25 points. He had five of nine shooting from three. So no one was able to stop the Rockets, and that's why they were able to get such a big margin of victory. Thunder got another shot against these guys on Wednesday, so I'll make sure to get the game preview out to you all for that one and what adjustments should be made in order to make Wednesday's night a bit more successful. But heading on to the next story, talking about the G League, this was, in my opinion, the more exciting of the two stories to be talking about. I don't know if you share that same opinion, but I mean, this is this is a pretty big story we have right here. Whenever Joe Musato of the Oklahoman, he reported that, you know, not just Josh Hall and Moses Brown would be going to the bubble. I mean, there are two-way guys, so did make some sense there. But Alexei Pokachevsky and Ty Jerome would also be going over to the Orlando bubble as well. And this kind of sent some shockwaves around, I'd say, NBA Twitter, uh, to be quite honest with you. I, I checked that here and there just to see what's going on. It seemed like people had some strong emotions and feelings about 
maybe not Ty Jerome as much, but Alexi Pokachevsky for sure. So I kind of just want to break down some of the takes and then my take on it as well. I think we should start with Ty Jerome. Poku, I can go on and on about. With Ty Jerome, it's a little bit more of a simple case just because we have not seen him playing on the floor yet. So the explanation, really, it, it does make some sense here. I'm not really surprised about the move because he just has not played for us at all. He didn't play for us in the preseason, didn't play for us thus far in the regular season. He does not have the reps in at all. He needs to get back on track, and that's exactly what the NBA G League bubble should be used for. Getting those guys in who are not on NBA rosters right now or for one reason or another they're not playing, give them an opportunity to prove themselves and establish themselves as players for the latter part of the NBA season. That's Ty Drome's goal right now with uh, with this opportunity in Orlando. And I think just as a team, maybe his fit might be a bit off right now. I mean, the Thunder have just adapted to him not being with the team. You know, we haven't seen him at all. But I'd say the one and two positions kind of have had some mainstays there. Like, we know SGA is a one we know Teo Maladon, he has cemented himself as the point guard or shooting guard. Just know he's taken up 20 plus minutes at whatever position. And then you got to factor in George Hill, who once he comes back, he's going to be still getting a lot of minutes. And Hamadou Diallo has just blossomed into a player. He's taken a lot of minutes up. So I don't really know how you're able to kind of squeeze those minutes down on any four of those guys to give Ty Jerome like 10 minutes. Maybe you're looking at George Hill, like if a trade happens, but as it stands right now, I just don't see the fit. So I think it does make sense to kind of get him going with the Oklahoma City Blue. Before the season started, I would have told you, yeah, I mean, Ty Jerome probably would be in the rotation because with the way things were, I mean, Teo Maladon, Diallo, their statuses were kind of up in the air. And Frank Jackson was also on the team at that point. He looked impressive. He didn't end up making it. So, I mean, they must have really loved Ty Jerome. I, I think that they were probably playing on him playing um, with the team, like, immediately. But, I mean, the injury has taken a long time to recover. Totally get it. And Maladone and Diallo have been impressive, as I've said. So, I think the G League route does make... It does make sense. There's some clarity right there. And, you know, when you're looking at Ty Jerome, for someone who maybe is not familiar with him since he just has not played for us, he was excellent in college. He played three years for Virginia. And in his junior year, he was one of the best in his position. He shot 40% from downtown on 5.4 attempts a game. And he had 5.5 assists to just 1.7 turnovers in his junior campaign. That's a very good ratio to be having. So the passing skills, that was what you saw on every single scouting network. Every scouting network made sure to say in the first or second line, Ty Jerome possesses some unique passing abilities. He is a 6'5 primary point guard I'd say he can slide up to the two due to his frame but the play style really does reflect that of an oversized one he is a passer who can shoot at times 
The knock on Jerome is he just does not have the speed or athleticism that you see with normal guards, but he makes up with it with the IQ that he has in order to create plays for others. And that's why he was such a great assist man with the Virginia Cavaliers in his college days. But moving on to when he was with Phoenix, I mean, just one year with him, the rookie campaign, he did not have a lot of moments, and the stats were not that great. He shot just 28% on 1.6 attempts from outside, and he averaged 1.4 assists and 0.9 turnovers in those games. So the ratio went down, shooting went down, not a lot of promising stuff right there. But you really cannot hold things against him just due to how little of a role or chance he had to make a mark with the Suns organization. So he gets a second chance here with the Thunder. I think it makes sense for him to start with the G League, kind of get himself prepared for when hopefully he's playing rotational minutes with the Thunder at the one and two spots. But now is where the big guns start coming in. This is when the hot takes start flying over and over. It's Alexi Pokachevsky. He is getting moved down. He played his last game against the Houston Rockets. And then, you know, he's taking the trip down to Orlando literally in the next coming days. He's not suiting up for the OKC Thunder for a little bit. Yeah, I don't know exactly if he can get called up or what the protocols are like there. We'll see. But... If you're just assuming he's staying the whole way, it's going to be a bit until we see Alexei Pokachevsky on Fox Sports Oklahoma. So he gets sent down, and this was a total curveball. As I said, there was promise all over the place with Pokachevsky, but, I mean, I guess they wanted to go another direction. They really do believe in the G League system, giving him one of the front and center roles over playing those rotational minutes on the NBA roster. And there there is that skill gap as I said with the uh with the intro there and that could be for the better or worst for Alexei Pokachevsky. The thing is that I've heard is like will Pokachevsky playing in the G League hurt his confidence, especially if he struggles early. And th- you know, that does have some merit to it. I think if he cannot get his footing in the G League Maybe there might be some sort of issues there, but I I think it's worth the risk. The question that I would pose to somebody with that argument, which, you know, truthfully, I do kind of agree with that, but me trying to play devil's advocate on like both sides, I'd probably say, what about the G League Ignite team? This is a team stacked up of some of the G League's brightest players, people who have played NBA games as well as some of the young up-and-comers who are projected lottery picks in the 2021 draft class. So they are throwing everything on the line to play against G League-level competition this year. And sure, Pokachevsky, he's kind of a one-man show when it comes to other young, you know, prospects or whatever you may call it there. The G League team is just, the G League Ignite team, excuse me, they're just decked with all that. I totally get it. But when you're breaking it down one for one, similar situation for these guys. Look at him as a G League Ignite player. That is my advice to you. Literally nobody is complaining about some of these Ignite players 
deciding to not take the traditional route. Actually, they're being praised for not going to college. They're saying, get your money early, play professionally, get the reps in, it will prepare you better for the draft. People have people have said, look at Pokachevsky as like, look at his rookie year as like a, like a development year, like a high school season, McDonald's All-American, that kind of stuff. Okay, that's exactly what people are saying about the G League guys. G League Ignite guys. Group them into that category, please. This like slander and people complaining about it, it, it just doesn't make sense when, when you look at it from all different sorts of perspectives. Pokachevsky is only 45 days older than projected top five pick Jalen Green. And Green's gonna have the spotlight on him from start to finish of this Ignite program. Every single scout is going to be eyeballing him. Pokachevsky should have that same sort of treatment. With Jalen Green, you're not expecting the guy to be dropping 20 to 30 points on G League teams over and over again. I mean, if you do, shoot, that I mean, you you definitely are banking on this guy being huge, and maybe it could happen. But there will be ups and downs with Jalen Green, and there will be ups and downs with Alexei Pokachevsky. That's how it is. I don't think that you should be viewing him as like comparing him to like, oh, he should be playing with the Thunder because he does have a very solid opportunity with the G League to just develop and grow because as it stands now, some some of the aspects of his game kind of have been shrunken down um, with the Thunder. And I think with the Blue, he will get a lot more chances to show all the facets of his game. And I think the G League system, just in general, it's been marvelous for a lot of players and you can just go back one season when you're looking at the blue Lugens Dort he comes in from Arizona State comes in on that two-way deal and he just balls out he did not start on the bench he started guns blazing just proving himself getting minute after minute and maybe he did start on the bench right but he still climbed up the ladder to the point where he was one of the front and center stars of the unit, like 10 games into the G League year. I remember literally reporting him scoring 35 points in one of the early G League games, like, keep this guy on tabs. Now, I, you know, whenever I saw that, I didn't think too much of that, but turned out Lou Dort's a pretty solid guy. And there's a real question to be had. If you would have placed Lou Dort immediately onto the 15-man roster last season would he be as successful as he is today and I think the answer is no I think if he was put on the 15-man roster no G League at all for Dort in in his rookie year it would not be as good because there was a log jam at the shooting guard position he would have been way behind I mean you're running the uh just a three-guard lineup you got SGA filling in at the two, and then you still got people like Hamadou Diallo, you got guys like Terrence Ferguson, wherever he is playing, getting some of those minutes there. So I really don't know how many minutes Dort would have actually dug up there, and I don't I don't know if the uh, amount of repetitions he would have had in the NBA would have prepared him for whenever, you know, he had nobody, nobody was available at the shooting guard position, so they had to pull Dort up from the blue to play and he looked great and that's how we kind of just kept going 
all about climbing up. It was a huge journey for Dort throughout that last year. And I think if you just completely chop off the G League part, you'd be looking at a completely different player. He is a guy that you're looking at a long-term piece for the Thunder. And I think a lot of the credit needs to go to how he was kind of stooped up and developed in the G League because he was prepared for the moment he needed to come in and play under the big lights. He was playing like 30 minutes for the OKC Blue, having to clamp up constantly, having to work on his offensive game. I think the overall development there, the in-game reps go far past, you know, what may have been if he was playing like 10 to 12 minutes on the normal unit because that's probably what would have happened if you would have just thrown him on the Thunder immediately. I think the same can kind of be said with Poku. Um, you need reps to become great in order to have the consistency and continue to grow. You're going to need the reps. Poku has had it, but there's going to be a lot more to be had in the Orlando bubble. He's going to be a focal point at the four position, and he's going to have a lot more responsibilities. He's been used at times as like a screen setter. He doesn't really set screens. He kind of just fakes it and like leaks out for a potential shot. And if he gets it, he'll just jack up the shot, right? But he has not been used in what was his biggest draft quality, and it was passing. He was looked at as a playmaker I'd say almost first, like the, sh the sharpshooting was there. I think consistency from three was actually a question raised before he got selected, but the playmaking was something that, you know, everybody was adoring from him. Sure, he may have had his coughs, cough ups where he's getting turnovers, but I mean, some of the passes that he has made whenever he was playing over in, um, in the B League in, in Europe. It, it was ridiculous for what at the time a 17 or 18 year old he's making jump pass after jump pass whenever people step up on him goes up midair can chuck it across the court that's the stuff that you saw from Maladone in the preseason picture that but with a seven foot tall seven foot three 119 pound 18 year old that's what was going on right there and these are perfect on the money passes maybe a bit too much airtime on them but you can't be complaining the passes were so advanced, and he's even going for alley-oops, doing no-look passes mid-air. That's the kind of stuff that I want to be seeing from him. The passing levels and just playmaking levels are something that he needs to be growing on because it can be one of the biggest parts of his game. You know, imagine him being able to play some sort of role where he can man the middle, just hold on to the ball, maybe try to dribble up a bit. And then find the open target. Have people moving in and out on cuts. Can you picture Hamadou Diallo cutting in? Backdoor cuts? Pokachevsky launching it over to him? Oh my goodness. Poku throws some heat on the ball at times. And Hamadou Diallo puts a punch on the rim whenever he goes up. So that's just a highlight reel waiting to happen. I don't want to get too ahead of myself. But that's a potential there. Poku knows how to get the ball out of his hands and on target. And with the Thunder... It seemed like confidence really did kind of hurt him because there were nights where he's traveling three times a game, throwing the ball to, you know, the lady in the first row a couple times. You want that to stop. And I think it starts with just letting him know everything's cool, 
getting him a lot of minutes and time to just nurture his game. And then when he comes back to the actual team, whenever that may be down the line, some of those skills, especially playmaking, it's going to be all there and he can just immediately be depended on to be trying to run the offense with the ball in his hands because he really has been used as an off-ball player for the most part. And a tendency that Poku has shown is he will crash the glass. Like, he's good at getting the boards, right? He's one of our best rebounders. And he will take the ball up himself. He's pretty nimble for a seven-footer. But he will stop at the wings and just wait for a guard. Like, if you're going to do that, just give the outlet pass to the, the guard and set it up there. But he likes to kind of start the offense not really start but he likes to kind of help facilitate the plays like he will wait there with the ball until SGA or Maladone will come up just give a quick handoff and let them start like a half court offense so cut the fast break he wants to run the half court every time Poku was known actually um overseas as a guy who could run the fast break at times in the competition he was playing it was not that good okay you can say that right there right now i'm not gonna try to distort it anyway it was not the greatest of competition but you still need to credit it like he was not being passive when he crossed the timeline he was in attack mode you want that to be rejuvenated in him and i think if you were to continue to put him on the thunder lineup that may have been a trait that just kind of got left in the dust that's something that you will see reoccurring on whatever it may be, ESPNU, Twitch, I don't know what other networks are showing the G League games, but that's something that you should be looking to see, him trying to actually work on fast break possession. So you can see that there. I mean, with shooting, he's still going to be jacking up just enough shots. Hasn't been on target um, a ton this year from downtown i mean he is only shooting 18 percent from deep on 3.4 attempts a game so clearly he's not finding it every time he's like inches shy every time he shoots the ball it's so close and it's so like uh it's such a weird feeling seeing it happen over and over again because i mean when it goes in it's really cool but when it, when it's off the mark a bit it just it stinks a lot and it's not like he's airballing every time you know, when you're looking at the 18.5, you're probably thinking of like Kendrick Perkins or something. Perkins probably isn't touching the rim. Poku's hitting the rim like 99.9% of the time. So he's looked, I'd say good. I think sometimes he's gotten the shots off really weird and he's kind of just hesitated and taking shots that probably were not the best of options there. But that's something else he can be working on. Really, he's going to be one of the centerpieces of the squad. You're looking at people like Josh Hall, Moses Brown being some of the core. I know they have Jason Randall. He might be running the one. Melvin Frazier and Antonius Cleveland. Those two are very great at the shooting guard spot. I think Melvin Frazier probably gets the starting nod there. I mean, these starting five will be great. You got a veteran in Jason Randall. Melvin Frazier, he's been a dominant force in the G League. Since he got brought into the league a couple years ago, Josh Hall, he's looked good in his time with the Thunder. Like, I wouldn't be complaining if he was just with the Thunder full time, but he's going to be a big part of the blue. Same with Pokachevsky. He's probably going to be the star of the show. And Moses Brown, you need to give him some love because he also has looked solid. So I think the main trifecta you're looking at probably consists of Frazier, Hall, and Poku. But Poku, 
I think he's going to be the secondary playmaker, at least behind Chasson Randall. So a lot of ground can be covered there. I think you just need to view him as like, this is his college year almost. You know, this, this guy is an Ignite prospect and we just have the rights to him. So I don't really think we should be pressuring or having huge opinions on him being brought down. I think that developing in the NBA would be great for him and you know, he has had his positive moments, but I, I also understand why Pokachevsky is being sent down. And it sucks because as a fan, Pokachevsky is one of the main reasons why I tune into the games. Like, obviously, I'm watching the games, but the second unit is so cool to watch, especially when you got Teo and Alexei Pokachevsky out there. Two very unique prospects that we got in the draft. Now we're not going to see him. We're going to see more of your traditional guy and like Justin Jackson so I'll have to get used to the floaters and such but I mean on the bright side if you guys need to like watch something during work the G League games are like in the morning to like right after lunch so you know if you guys got dual monitors you might be able to pop the blue game on watch Pokachevsky play for a lot of minutes and and hey he's gonna have a spotlight on him so might as well tune in and uh and watch the show because could be a pretty good one. We'll see what happens with him. I think the development is going to be something that I'll be talking about. I'm definitely going to be talking about the blue. A lot of very fun faces to be talking about on that roster. So make sure to keep you all posted on it. But other than that, guys, that is going to wrap up today's podcast. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.